Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand. <coughs> he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know you, he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be his God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the holy word of God. All right, church, you remember the scene, most of you. Exodus 3, we saw it last week if you were here. Moses is out with his flock in the desert of Midian, out in the backside of nowhere, when all of a sudden this uh, bush just erupts in flames, but it doesn't burn up. And then God begins speaking to Moses. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And they begin this conversation in which God tells Moses the last thing that Moses wanted to hear. He says, Moses, go back to Egypt, tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and lead the people out of Israel. Moses is thinking to himself, no way, and especially not me. You know, he did not, was not interested in that, and so he begins a series of five objections, two of which we saw last week, three of which we're seeing today. So this is just the continuation of that sacred, holy encounter when God speaks to Moses. So, he's now on objection three, very first verse of chapter four, his objection. God has said to him, go to the people of Israel and tell them. Moses says in verse one, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Now, what makes that particularly interesting is chapter three, verse 18, not three minutes before, 
God had said to, 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 to Moses, verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. So a few minutes later, Moses is speaking to the Almighty God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, who just told him, they will listen to your voice. And Moses informs God, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. I mean, that's kind of like calling him a liar, isn't it? Uh, you know, his disbelief, his stubbornness, his, uh, you know, he's being difficult. He does not want to go. You could only assume that there's fear behind it, as there is so often behind our disobedience of God. You know, he was, had to flee the land 40 years before because he had murdered a man. So, you know, maybe he still wanted but even if they've forgotten about that, if he goes to Pharaoh and says, you know, I'm, I, I need these people to leave the country, you know, maybe that'd be the death sentence right there. He's scared to death. Maybe also he's comfortable. You know, he's on the backside of nowhere, no court intrigue, no court politics, you know, no uh, you know, Pharaoh after him. He's just out there with his sheep. Nobody talks back to me. You know, he, maybe he was comfortable. And God is calling him to do something else. Church, isn't it true that in our lives, when God calls us to do things, that from time to time, we have fears about it? And sometimes, we're just comfortable, and we'd rather not move. Move figuratively, spiritually. You know, God calls us to all kinds of things. Sometimes they are, you know... Uh, Major milestone events, location, vocation, um, marriage, children, adoption, big things, changing your job, maybe starting a ministry, maybe uh, joining an existing ministry, or maybe sometimes they're over, they're more daily things. Uh, go talk to your neighbor. Uh, have a difficult conversation with that friend of yours that you're estranged from. Give up your anger and bitterness towards that person. Forgive. I mean, you know, every week when we get to the line in the Lord's Prayer, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do you think about that every week? I do. I'm thinking, man, I hope we're meaning that. We're not just talking it. Maybe God is calling you to forgive somebody. Maybe He's calling you to give up anger, guilt, fear, um, what is God speaking to you about? Your everyday thing or a major thing? Sometimes we respond with fear. Sometimes we are just, you know, comfortable. Maybe you need help in your marriage and you need to go see our late counseling ministry, which is helping a ton of people. Maybe you need to, you know, go get a freedom prayer uh, healing ministry, healing prayer. Maybe you're in a difficult marriage and you need to hang in there. And trust the Lord. All kinds of calls that God has placed upon us. Now Moses gets this call. And he's not saying yes. Here's the first principle. We're going to see so many life-relevant principles in this passage. Here's the first one. When God calls you, the answer of the disciple is yes. If you're a disciple, now what's a disciple? Well, we're all about discipleship here, making disciples. The Great Commission, Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's our main vision, everybody disciples. Everybody helps reach lost people, our top five. Everybody helps believers grow in some way or the other. 
All right, he says, go and make disciples. And then he immediately explains what that means or what that is. The best definition of a disciple is in that verse. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Okay, they're baptized believers. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. So they are baptized believers who obey. Obey what? Obey everything. Obey everything I've commanded you. This is a disciple. You're a baptized believer, and you want to obey everything the Lord commands you. All right, if you are a disciple, if you consider yourself a disciple, you're not perfect, but you've made the decision beforehand, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. Now, if you're a disciple and God speaks to you about anything, puts it on your heart, calls you to do something, major or daily, the answer is already yes, isn't it? I love what one older Christian woman said. She said, the answer, Lord, is yes. Now, what's the question? That's the perspective. Lord, whatever you say, I say yes. And that wasn't Moses' attitude, but that's the, that's the attitude and perspective of a believer, a disciple. All right, God hears that third objection, and he says to Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? Now, for a shepherd, every shepherd would have a crook, a staff in his hand. That's just the everyday object. Sort of like the everyday object in your hand is what? Yes, an iPhone or a smartphone. But for Moses, it would be a staff or a crook. And God says something unusual, throw it to the ground. He throws it to the ground, and the thing becomes a snake. Why in the world does God turn it into a snake? I mean, something as, you know, yucky as that, we don't like. Nefarious. I mean, it's even a symbol of Satan. Um, well, we don't know for sure, but... The headdress, the hat that Pharaoh wore, you can see the pictures of King Tut, was a cobra. I mean, that was his head, a cobra. I mean, what a symbol. What a hat. And, uh, and do you think that God might be saying, you know, that becomes a, a, a serpent, a cobra, and, and, and God says, just take it up. And when he takes it up, it just becomes a staff. God has authority over Pharaoh. Just like I've got authority over that snake, that cobra there. God has authority. Moses, you think it is impossible for Pharaoh to let my people? You think that's too hard for me? I have authority over Pharaoh. And then he gives him another a miraculous thing right there before him with a hand. Two of those. Tells him about another one. Now, you might think that that would, you know, uh, convince Moses that nothing is too hard for God. But it doesn't. Here is principle two from our passage. Never decide that anything is too hard for the Lord. Do you ever do that? You would never say that. But do you have something right now that you know would take a miracle and you've given up on it? You're no longer praying about it. Maybe it is one of your top five. Maybe it is a relative. Maybe it is a spouse who just is so far from, you know, God, you know, that, that, that you sort of given up on it. Maybe you need physical healing. Maybe you need mental healing. Maybe you need marital healing. Maybe you need a miracle in your marriage. Maybe you've got a teenager who's making some decisions that scare you to death. Maybe you're out of work. A lot of folks are out of work with the price of oil like this. Um, maybe you need a financial miracle. What are you trusting God for that if God doesn't come through, it doesn't happen? I hope you've got something. 
Because if not, you can do it yourself. I hope you're trusting God for the God-sized. Many of you know the story about just this church and campus that we moved into this campus seven years ago in 2008, worst recession since the Great Depression. And uh, at the very worst time, you know, it, it hit us and we got into so much debt that, you know, we just really felt uh, challenged and convicted before God. I even did a repentance sermon back in those days. We as elders decided that in the aftermath of that decision, or of that quagmire, that we made two decisions. One, we're going to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Secondly, when we get out of debt, we're going to get 50% of our regular income outside the walls of the church. And it was slow going. I mean, we had plenty of ministries going on and to, to run so lean that we could free up $2 million a year in our, our budget, which was a lot smaller then, to put against our debt. And it was just going slowly, you know, about $2 million a year. Uh, several years in, in 2013, so that would be uh, really is about four years in, still had almost $7 million in debt. I read a book by Mark Batterson that talked about asking God for God-sized things. And I love that topic. I love that sort of thing. So my heart immediately rec- uh, responded, and I feel like God put on my heart, look, Jeff, why don't y'all just pray and ask me to, to completely clear this debt within a year? $7 million, almost $7 million, 6.7. We're paying it down $2 million a year. Why don't you ask me that by the end of this year, it'd be completely paid off? And so God put that on my heart. I began praying for that, began talking to you about it. You began praying, and by November of that year, it was completely paid off. And that's just a huge yay God. Now, that's a God-sized thing. But, but that's the sort of God-sized thing that God wants us to be praying about. He doesn't want us just to ask Him for safe little things. Uh, because God is glorified. Because we didn't have a chance unless God did. And that ought to encourage some of you in a financial quagmire today. With loss of work or with, with, with financial difficulties or marital problems or any other kind of problems. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. When God said to Sarah, when she was 89 years old and barren and way past childbearing, way past childbearing, Sarah, you're going to have a child, a little baby, this time next year. And she said, ha. You know, she laughs. <laughs> yeah, that'd be right. That'd be something. And God says to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? And you just sense the heart of God. Don't think anything is too hard for me. What's the biggest problem you got right now? Is it too hard for the Lord? It's not. All through the Bible. All through history. Well, you'd think that that would, you know, get Moses' attention, you know, seeing the snake, the sap become the snake and vice versa and those miracles. But no, he's not satisfied. And so, objection four comes in ten. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servants. It's like he's saying, look, God, even since I've been talking to you uh, during this time, I'm not eloquent. I still can't speak very good. I still haven't done anything here. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. And what's Moses saying? He's saying, look, God, you got the wrong man. You want me to speak to the nation, speak to Pharaoh? I can't even speak well. Lord, I can't do this. And isn't that something that Christians throughout history have done? When God calls us to do something, you know, we say, I can't. I can't. Get somebody. Lord, get him. Lord, get her. Uh, I cannot do it. Basic principle of the spiritual life, all through the Bible and here. Number three, 
God uses us in our weakness, not in our strength. Oh, Moses, you can't speak very good? No problem. Oh, Moses, you have been uh, charged with murder. You have, uh, been, uh, uh, you're guilty of murder. No problem. Moses, you feel weak and inadequate. No problem. You're not going to do it. I'm going to do it. Maybe God is calling you to do something special that you can't do. You know, that's just the kind of person that God looks for. Friend, some of you got an obstacle because you're too bright, you got too much money, you got too much gift and personality, and that is your biggest problem because you're going to think you're too big for God to use, too big for your britches. But if you recognize, oh God, uh, I am weak, I have messed up a lot, I've been going through that marriage already, and I, I, don't have, I don't know that much, I've never been to seminary, man, uh, those are the kind of people that God wants to use who are weak enough, small enough. When, God said to the, when Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, look, not many of you are noble, not many of you are wise, not many of you are rich, but God calls the weak and the foolish to shame the strong and the wise. God uses weak people. In 2 Corinthians 12, remember, Paul's got this, probably a physical eye problem. We don't know for sure, but it must be really bothering him. He keeps calling out to God, and God says no. And then he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. You feel weak? Good, good. You are weak. You're not going to do it. God is. Church, most of you know that all my adult life, I've struggled with mental disease that at times was so painful, I thought I was going to end up in some mental institution somewhere. It was just, just horribly painful at times. And in my biggest weakness, I learned dependence and desperateness on God that I probably wouldn't have learned any other way. And your weakness, my strength is made perfect. If you feel weak, great. Maybe you're about ready for God to use you. I love the way Rick Warren talked about every hero in the Bible. He said it this way. You know, i got to wipe the spit off my iPad from time to time. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. All righty. This is what he says. He says, Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. A little harsh there, Rick. <laughs> Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. Timothy was timid. Was timid. This is quite a variety of misfits, but God used each one of them in His service. He will use you too if you stop making excuses. What excuse have you been given to God? In the guise of humility, uh, just, you know, God, I can't do that. Obey the Lord. Trust the Lord. Know that it is God that's going to do it and not you. All right, there's a similar corollary principle that goes with that one. Uh, but before that, Hudson Taylor, uh, who was used so mightily, uh, a church leader, Hudson Taylor opened up China to the gospel in the 1900s, 18, 19th century, 1800s. And, and it was incredible what God did. 
a Church of England uh, leader said to him, you must have problems with pride because there's probably anybody alive, nobody alive that's been used by God more than you. Hudson Taylor said, on the contrary, I often think God must have been looking for someone small enough and weak enough for him to use. Are you small enough and weak enough for God to use? Later, uh, he said this, and this is really good. This applies to our lives. Many Christians estimate difficulties in light of their own resources. Stop it right there. Do you do that? You got some financial problems. You got some, some marriage problems. You got some problems with your kids, and you estimate difficulties in light of their own resources, and thus they attempt little and often fail in the little they attempt. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His power and presence with them. So I say again, you got a lot of money, you got a lot of smarts, you got a lot of education, you got a lot of personality, that could be your biggest problem. Recognize how desperate you are for God, and you need His power. Now, the fourth principle is similar. Uh, it's a little bit different. It's this. God uses the ordinary, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Not just weak people, but ordinary people, just everyday people like us. Don't you love Acts 4.13, when Peter and John, these fishermen, came in off the lake, smelly, and the religious elite says, say, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I'll never forget some years back when we were finally got big enough to hire somebody full-time in missions, our international efforts. And the man that I wanted the most was Tim Martin. Tim was a highly paid, successful uh, oil executive. And uh, I go to he and Deb. I knew I needed to have the wife there to a had such a big ask. And I asked them to, 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 to leave that and to come uh, uh, work on a, in a church. And, uh, and, I, and, and they, they do say yes. And Tim says yes, but I, I just couldn't get over how Tim felt so inadequate, so unqualified because he hadn't been to seminary. He felt ordinary. But that's just the people God said. And fortunately, unlike Moses, Tim said yes to God's calling, and so did Deb, even more importantly. And God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And God has used Tim incredibly uh, around the world to have impact. All righty. Moses, fourth time, puts God off. Lord, I just can't speak good enough. Do somebody else. God responds in 11. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the, creator, the Lord? God is the creator. He does it all. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth. Just go. I will be with you. We saw this last week. I will be with you, whatever it is. You've got a tough decision. You've got a challenge. You've got a tough call. God says, I will be with you. Forgiving that person is just bigger than you can do. God says, I will be with you. Matthew 28, 20, the next verse from what we read earlier, Jesus says, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. You got a new calling that you feel like is, is bigger than you? Good. I will be with you. God will go right with it. You know, Moses learned this by Exodus 33, 15. Uh, he knew God so well. And when God called him to do something, he says, unless your presence goes with us, I can't do it. I can't go. Do not bring us up from here. He knew all he needed was the presence of God. 
And that is the principle, the next one. If God calls us, He will go with us. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. All righty. Six, similar to that. Okay, think about Moses. At the start of this book, man, he is one timid dude. I mean, he is uh, afraid and fearful and disobedient and stubborn. But he becomes a great man of God and the most humble man in all the earth in such a tender relationship with the Lord. What happens to the guy? He is completely transformed, and that can happen to you and me. That's the sixth principle. Who you once were is not who you one day will be if God is in charge. Moses was completely transformed during this book. And if we are not, over time, completely transformed so that we fall in love with Jesus and love of the people and our different lives, something is wrong. Something is wrong. God may not be in charge. Because God is in the business of transforming human people. And I know it's hard to see day to day. You can't really see it. But over years, there's no difference. There's something wrong. All right, he's got one more objection. Now, keep in mind, you are out there in the desert. This bush is just engulfed in flames. God is speaking to you. The bush is not burned up. Uh, your, your staff becomes a serpent. Your hand becomes leprous and then unleprous. I mean, God is speaking to you. And he's telling you to go, and you've been putting him off. And then he comes to kind of, you know, he cuts to the bottom line here. In verse 13, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Can you believe it? I mean, I know he's afraid. I know he's, you know, got a cush, you know, he's comfortable there. But this is God speaking to you. This is the Almighty. This is the eternal God. You don't say no to him. And Moses is saying, oh, God, send somebody else. Boy, he is difficult. He is, uh, he is stubborn. And how does God respond? Verse 14, then the, then, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Not before, not during all the other objections. Finally, the anger of the Lord. You know, God does have anger. It's a righteous anger. It's not a quick temper. Sometimes I lose my temper. I hate to admit it. Few of you have seen it. Gail has certainly seen it. But sometimes I lose my temper. Um, but God doesn't. Never, never. He's got a righteous, holy anger against sin. He's slow to anger. All through the Bible, he's slow to anger. And finally, uh, God's anger is kindled. And Moses knows it. He tells Moses, look, Aaron's about here. Aaron will speak for you. You'll, you'll, you'll be like God to, to Aaron. You'll speak to Can you believe God's doing that? I mean, what would I do? I would just say, Moses, you are out of here. Who needs you? I got Aaron. But, but he is so gracious, so patient. Even with all of this, he says, okay, Moses, I'm going to let Aaron do the work, but I'm still going to use you. And don't forget to take your staff with you. And, and just the, the, the graciousness, the patience of God. Um, when I was younger as a believer, some people occasionally wore this little enigmatic button, and it had a bunch of initials on it. And if you pressed in, it, this is what the initials stood for. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And that's kind of encouraging to me. You know, God is patient. You know, sometimes, particularly it seems like the last few months, I've been feeling this. I just feel like, God, you have been so patient with me. 
Because, you see, God knows my heart. He knows the self-centeredness, the selfishness, the, the, the jealousy, the fear, the anger. Uh, he knows the fears and the unbelief that I've wrestled with. And I'm just so grateful. God, you have been so patient with me. Has he been patient with you? Oh, you bet he is. You bet he, he is a patient and a gentle God. When I was a young pastor, I recognized that, that my view of God was, was not right. I, I knew he was great, but I just saw him as a, as a, as a stern, difficult God. And I, I recognized that. I recognized that, oh, God, I, I need to understand how gracious and loving and kind you are. And, and I remember part of what I was doing, I was reading an A.W. Tozer book in those days, and I came across a chapter title that kind of stopped me. And this is what he said, God is easy to live with. And that's just not the way I had seen God. But that is the way God is. And that's the way I see him today. God is easy to live with. He is a gracious, patient and slow to anger God, and He is gracious with us. You know, to me, there are two big miracles in this passage, but, you know, besides the snake stuff. But um, one miracle is that Moses, talking to Almighty God, is so disobedient and rebellious. Keeps saying no. But a bigger miracle is that God is so patient with Moses who keeps saying no. God is so gracious, and He's gracious with you and gracious with me. All right, there are a couple of other final principles embedded in this whole passage. Eight, God uses people to accomplish his work. Why does he want to use Moses at all or Aaron or anybody? Why don't he just, you know, do some miraculous stuff in the, in the heavens and with the Nile River and just shake Pharaoh and make him let him go? Because God uses people. We are his hands and feet. God gives us the privilege. Now, God is drawing some people in our community to himself all the time. And he's going to do that. The only question is, are you going to get the privilege of being part of that, if we're sensitive and alert to the Lord. God's going to do some great things. We get the privilege of being used by Him. I was talking with a guy in our church who was fairly new, and he and, he's, he and his wife came here, and he really, they felt strongly called here, but they felt, you know, why are we here? Why did God call us here? And God opened this door of ministry. He, he, Randy Mormon, he leads our cancer support ministry and does a fabulous job, and he so loves going down to MD Anderson and helping people go through what he had gone through in a life-threatening matter some years back. And he said, Jeff, this has changed my life. You know, this big house on the golf course in Carlton Woods, I don't need that. I, I, uh, this ministry is my calling, and it has changed my life. And um, this is the way God works. He uses people and gives us the great privilege that he wants to use every single one of us that way. Now, if you're here today and you would say, I want to be used by God, then you will. Every single person who really wants to be used by God is used by God. If you're not being used by God because you really don't want to, God will use you in all kinds of ways. He will. God uses people to accomplish His work. Nine, God is not looking for your ability but your availability. We've already seen this. He doesn't need your ability. In fact, he likes it. When you don't have so much ability, you're more dependent upon him. The answer is yes, Lord. Now, what's the question? What's he calling you to? Is he calling you to give up some sin? Is he calling you to move there? Give up this job? Uh, start a business? Join that ministry? I have a difficult conversation with that person you're estranged from. 
Talk to one of your top five. What's God calling you to do? Is he calling you to get help for your marriage? Is he calling you to get married? Someone said, you know, um, well, uh, wrong place there, but God is looking for your availability, not your ability. All right, one final principle. If God calls you, he will equip you. Here's the someone. Someone put it this way. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And again, that ought to encourage us. That's why we get guys like Moses and all those other people uh, with problems that Rick Warren's talked about. Because if God calls you to do something, he will give you the resources, the gift to be able to do it. Now, church, if I could close with this, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. If God calls you to do something, does that mean it's going to be easy and smooth sailing and great success? God might call you to start a business tomorrow, and in six months, it go, it just uh, completely dis, uh, dissipate. He might. And you might think in six months, oh, God, I thought you called me to this. Where are you? Well, God's right there the whole time. He never said you're going to have wild success, but he was at work in your life shaping your soul. Does Moses have it easy when he goes to Pharaoh? Does Pharaoh respond, oh, yeah, sure, Moses, take him off, take him off. He doesn't. It's tough. There's bloodshed. There's a lot of people dying. It was hard. And by the time he got him to, to, to the, the promised land, it took 40 years. It wasn't easy, but it was the will of God. And God uses pain and suffering to shape our souls as he did for Moses. Okay, in 1989, Gail and I were living in Roseburg, Oregon, and we both felt strongly and clearly God wants us to pick up without really any kind of outside support, get our stuff in the U-Haul, and move to Houston, Texas, and to start this church, or start a church. And um, I knew it was clearly the will of God. I mean, I felt it strongly, but because Gail, you know, the last place on the planet she wanted to move to was Houston. And so if she felt it too, I knew, okay, this is from God. And, and, and we moved. And, and we had great dreams. We thought, man, we're gonna, the church is going to grow. It's going to have impact. It's going to make a difference. And it's going to be great. We had the four hardest years we've ever had to this day. It was terrible. A lot of pain and bloodshed, relational problems. Horrible. And then we had about five or six more years that were plenty difficult. Does that mean God didn't call us? No. Uh, God didn't say it would be easy. He said, I will be with you. And he uses the pain and the heartache to help us to learn faith and gratitude and character. God called Gail and me, I'm convinced, 37 years ago to get married. It wasn't easy for a good while, <laughs> especially not for her. You know, two stubborn people, you know, living together. It's difficult at times. We could, be, we could become dependent. God called uh, you, some of you, to have children. Was it easy? Has it been easy? There is no bigger challenge in the world than raising kids because you don't control them. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but God is in it, and he will see you through. All righty, what is God speaking to you about? What's he been calling you to do? Is it something daily? Is it something big, something milestone? Is it something regular like, you know, give up this sin, go talk with this person? Is it something like that? What is God speaking to you about? This is what we've seen from this passage. When God calls you, the answer of the disciple is yes. Never decide that anything is too hard for the Lord. Ah, that one is so big. 
God uses us in our weakness, not our strength. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. If God calls us, He will go with us, and that's all that matters. Who you once were is not who you one day will be. God is incredibly patient with us. God uses people to accomplish His work. God's not looking for your ability, but your availability. And finally, if God calls you, He will equip you. Let's go to it. Stand with me, please. Lord, you are a gracious God, and we bless you for the privilege of knowing you. Hear the hard cries of your people. Guide them, Lord. If some of them right now are just feeling led, Lord, God, make it clear what you want. And then give them grace and strength to obey you. Give us grace and strength to obey you. Friend, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, this is the will of God for you. This is the call of God for you. Trust my son as your Savior. Right where you are, breathe a prayer. Jesus, come and save me from my sin. He'll do it. He will do it. Papa, we love you. We want to obey you. Your way is always best. It may not be easy, but it's always best. Give us grace.